0: Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Ryan Ireland from ryanireland.com. We're here doing a little podcast stand-up. How you doing, Ryan? How has the new year been treating you so far?
1: It's been good. So when we're recording this, it's the, almost the end of January. And it's a little surprising because it's gone kind of quickly.
0: Is that a, in
1: a good way that you've been busy or in a bad way that you have been busy? Ha, Have been busy. <laughs> we're in, so my daughter is a Girl Scout, so we're in Girl Scout cookie season right now. God. And my wife and I are the cookie coordinators for the troop, which means we're responsible for all cookie things. So it's just kind of a busy, busy January for us.
0: Well, I'm impressed that you have not hit me up to buy cookies from your, your daughter. Oh, well, I will send you the link after this. I will probably buy some. Anyway, Ryan, let's let's get into it. So, mm-hmm. we've got something interesting that's supposed to be going on. In quarter one of 2022, which is that there's supposed to be a beta of this thing called Craft 4 that is coming out. And then according to Pixel and Tonic, the public release will be in quarter two Mm of 2022 is when they're going to be releasing this. So I just want to frame it real quick and get people's expectations to where they should be. They've said publicly that the Craft 4 upgrade is going to be more like going from Craft 3.7 maybe to Craft... 3.9, Three, nine, you know, it's not, it's not going to be like it was going from craft two to craft
1: three, right? Yeah. For the most part, it's not going to be tons of breaking changes. I, I guess maybe for the norm, the, the standard site upgrade. We're not talking about plugin developers or anything like that. So I I just wanted to get that off
0: the table for anyone Mm -hmm. who's looking at it and they're like, oh my God, this is going to be like from craft two to craft three. It's really not. It's going to be a much more minor upgrade for the majority of people, but there are going to be some pretty interesting changes that are going on. But you and I have uh, entered into a kind of betting pool Mm -hmm. on when this thing is going to be released, right? We we have no inside information on it. My guess is kind of crazy. So my guess is that the actual public release will... Will be on April 4th. And I'm basing that purely, I'm betting on OCD. I'm betting that Brandon or whoever at Pixel and Tonic, they want to release Craft 4 on the same day that they released Craft 3
1: a number of
0: years ago. So that is what I'm betting on.
1: So Brandon did say two months and three days is how long people will have to fix their plugins and everything in between. Someone had asked, how long will plugin developers have to get their stuff in order to support Craft 4? And he said, if everything goes as planned, you'll have two months and three days. Right. So that means
0: if everything goes to plan and they stick to that that means that the beta, if my date is correct, that'd which be I Tuesday. Have no, yeah, I have no faith that is going to be correct. But if yeah. it is correct, yeah, that means February
1: first is when the beta would need to come out. So uh, we're recording this on Friday, the twenty eighth. Is that right? So that would be in basically five days. And I feel like
0: even though we have some episodes queued up, mm-hmm. I feel like I should release this episode on Monday just in case, just to
1: get it. Yeah, that's just a good in idea. Case.
0: So it's, it doesn't sound like super <laughs> old.
1: But what is your guess? On when that they're going to be releasing this. The beta release is March 29th. Basically the the last possible, you know, point. I
0: see. So you make it the last
1: day of Q1. (laughs) Okay. And then the the, the Craft 4.0 final release, GM release, would be the 7th of June. Right. Which is in quarter two. Now the first yes. month of quarter two is going to be April. So I'm kinda of betting on them releasing late in quarter one for the beta and not really pushing it too late into quarter two. You know, once you get into summer here in the northern hemisphere, people are just off doing other things. So that I mean that could be an argument for not pushing it too late. And I know well, that I don't probably, know, not if we're in lockdown still. I mean, you know, uh, what are we gonna no, do? We've never you know? been in lockdown. But there's also the sense that there's that post-release support wave that comes in where the team works really hard at Pixel and Tonic to get it out. But they also have this wave of support that comes after the release. So they may want to pull the release Closer to the spring, in order to not have to spend their entire summer doing support on it, like all hands on deck.
0: I don't know. I don't know if that's really a concern of theirs. And I I also think you think I'm overthinking it? Maybe. I think that this release probably will go off better than the Craft 3 release from a support point of view, because again, the changes are not as drastic as it was from Craft 2 to Craft 3. But then also, they have additional staffing to help with support. And they also have Matt on board, who's been doing an amazing job with documentation. I have the feeling that this release. I don't think it's going to be a super stressful release for them. I don't think so. Or at least less stressful than Craft 3 release.
1: I guess. But so here's the thing. I, I think we wanted to talk about steps to prepare as well. But there's going to be a likely a not insignificant number of, of instances or cases where people do upgrade to, to four without fixing their shit before they get there.
0: Well, they're going to have a bad time. If well, they that, I mean, so, but bad right. time
1: means increased support for sure. OK,
0: so let's talk about that, actually.
1: The reason why I'm saying that
0: I don't think this update is going to be as drastic as from craft two to craft three mm-hmm. is just looking at what they've done so far. They they haven't rewritten the whole thing, which is what they did from craft two to it's craft true. three. What they've done is they've made some some really nice changes, some content authoring changes, and we'll we'll cover some of those. And they've made some quality of life changes. But we're not talking about the same kind of drastic upgrade. Now, you might say, well, then why are they calling it craft four? Well, it's because they're moving to an annual release cycle. So every year they're going to release a new major version of Craft. And the idea is that these new major versions, they'll allow them to introduce breaking changes, but they're not going to be the kind of massive rewrite that it was from Craft 2 to Craft 3. So you're going to have major releases that happen more often, and they will have maybe some breaking changes in them, but they're going to be relatively minor. And this gets them in step with what Laravel is doing in terms of a annual release cycle, in terms of what PHP is doing for an annual release cycle. So it's really just a shifting of expectations. So if you're listening, don't get this caught up in your mind that, oh my God, Craft 4 is going to be this major, major hassle as it was going from Craft 2 to Craft to 3. I and mean, even then, honestly, the Craft the 2 to Craft 3 wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad. For well, hold on. It wasn't that bad for people who were just working on front-end templating sites. Mm-hmm. It was a major... Major, major change for plugin developers and module developers because they, they went from E1 to E2 and they redid all of the guts. And that's not happening this time.
1: Right. So just to rewind, let's kind of do the wavy thing on the screen and the, the harp sound. Nobody can see you, Ryan. Oh, OK. So rewind ba- back to craft two to three upgrade, that was the time when you actually, the the recommended route was to have a new project alongside your craft two project, get craft three running fresh, and then migrate your stuff over and then point it at your existing database and run the migrations. So that was pretty significant in terms of the work that would, it needs to be done this is nothing like that. This is more like basically like a composer update and then running the migrations. And of course, there's some other things that you need to keep in mind in terms of plugin support and your own readiness with the project.
0: Okay, so that's where I want to get into where I think the bottleneck is going to be.
1: One of the things that they're doing
0: with Craft4 is they're making the minimum version of PHP to be PHP 8, which is Mm -hmm. great. You know, they're, They're modernizing the code that people can write to use it, and it's nice to have more modern standards that it is built on. One of the the other things that they have done in conjunction with that is they've added what's called typing to all of the classes that are in craft CMS. And let me explain real quick for anyone who's not familiar with what that is. So let's say you've got a function called foo, and it takes the parameters bar and baz, and it returns woof, Mm -hmm. right? So you would just write, you know, it could be in JavaScript, it could be in PHP, whatever you would write, function, foo, and then parentheses, bar, comma, baz, parentheses, and then that's it. Right, that that would be an untyped function where we're listing the parameters, but we're not giving any types of, of what these things are. Adding types to this, what it, it would change it where it would be function foo, and then it would be string bar, comma, array baz, and then parentheses, and then colon,
1: mm-hmm. string,
0: the or whatever the return, type the return type of this function is going to be. And the real rub or implication here is that if you have any classes that inherit from pixel and tonics classes, which is... Is very common. So if you write a plugin, you subclass their base plugin class, for instance, you have to go into all of your code and you have to refactor it to add in the types so that they match. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So this is where I think the bottleneck is going to be because every single plugin for Craft 3 will not work on Craft 4 until it has been updated to add this typing. Now, it is not a difficult thing to do, but it is a very laborious thing mm. to do. And that also applies to any other kind of custom PHP that might be in your project. So if you have a custom module, That also is going to be inheriting very likely from at least some of Pixel and Tonic's classes and they're now gonna be fully typed. So you're gonna have to fix those too. I think this is where the backlog is going to be when people are updating sites. It's not the the front end twig that they've written or their JavaScript or their CSS or or, or even their database and all that kind of stuff. Like that should probably mostly just work. And there are a couple of minor edge things, but that that all should just work. Where they're gonna run into issues are if they have a custom module, they're gonna need to refactor it to add type. Types, and they're going to have to wait for plugin developers to update all of their plugins to have types and then to publish their craft 4 compatible plugins to the plugin store. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where that is going to be the thing that I think slows down people migrating to this. What
1: do you think? Yeah, I agree. And then people like me with CraftQuest, I have <laughs> I have some, well, the training part aside, I have some custom plugins that run uh. critical parts of CraftQuest, the play tracker, the Teams support for team accounts that I worked with Ben Croker on. There's a few things in there that I will have to go update, update those before I can move to Craft4. Yep. And that's fine because I wrote the code, I maintain the code, I run the whole project. But for companies that don't have either maintenance contracts with a, a client or, or so forth, there might be these one off plugins out there too that need to be updated. And it's not that you're gonna have to completely rebuild. Things because the APIs have all changed, but right. But still, someone has to go in and touch that code for it to work. There is also the piece of. Where are you hosted, and does your host support PHP 8? You know, I, I think that's less of an issue these days, or it should be less of an issue these days. Mm-hmm. If
0: you're using any kind of a modern hosting environment, you got your own VPS, and you can pick what version of PHP. If you're using Forge, it's trivial, absolutely trivial to just pick a different version of PHP, and away you go. And Served is the same way. Arcus Tech, all of these places, it's relatively easy to do that, I think. But I feel like we, we have a talking- little
1: bit of bias, though, because because... because we like to use... Good tools and platforms. Yeah. and No, no. I I prefaced it. I said, if you are using... What about that VPS that was spun up six years ago that still runs a bunch of sites? This is a good excuse to get on board
0: and start using something that will actually make your life a lot easier. Uh, As we've discussed before, I I transitioned a client from using their own very complicated custom AWS
1: setup to use Served. Yeah. And man, their life is so much better. So much better. I actually have that as a bullet point for today's episode, where I did the same thing Thing. They were yep. editing on a on a staging server directly on the server, and then copying files over to the production server. Project and config that, was was disabled, and there was no way for someone to to properly work on the project. Right. So I took focus, the whole Ryan, thing. What's focus. that?
0: We're not talking about your pain right now. We're talking about Craft Four. Okay. <laughs> I know you're in, in pain on it, but let's give people... am in abs- pain. You, you look pained, Ryan. You look pained. Are you okay, Ryan? <laughs> I'm good. You're doing good? Okay. Is your, your ring hanging on your finger good? Everything's all right? Everything's okay. good. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> but so, yeah, yes, it is true that you have to make sure that you have some kind of hosting that you can run PHP 8. Maybe I am biased. Maybe my head's in the clouds, but I think that's going to be less of a holdup just because the state of things today is just so much better than it was a long time ago in terms of being able to just spin up something with whatever you want is relatively easy. And if you are stuck in a situation where you're on a shared hosting environment and you're unable to switch PHP versions or you're locked in at some crappy old version of PHP, it's a great time to look for better options because there are many better options mm-hmm. out there. You we can also just some stay on Craft 3
1: until you have the opportunity to move as well. You,
0: you can do that too. But, you know, it's specifically talking about what it's going to look like upgrading to craft four. I do think the biggest bottleneck again is going to be any custom code that you own, a plugin or a custom plugin, a custom module mm-hmm. that will need to add typing. As you mentioned, it doesn't require new APIs or there aren't breaking changes in the APIs. It's more like going in and, and correcting the, the grammar in a way. Like you just have to add what you used to put in a doc block. You will now put in actual code in terms of typing. And doc blocks are going to be a little less used for that, I would imagine, going forward. And then you're going to have to wait for all the plugins that your site depends on to then be updated to go along with it. Now, pursuant to that, we did an episode on devmo.fm a while ago about what even is PHP. And one of the things that we talked about was a tool called Rector. And... (laughs) I'm going to refrain from making the Rector damn near killed her joke. That always reminds me of that. I think it's a terrible name. It sounds too much like rectum, Ryan. It just does. It sounds like a lot of things.
1: Yeah. Um, So so Rector is instantly upgrades and automatic or automated refactoring of any PHP 5.3 plus code. That's right. Essentially, it's sort of like Babel for PHP. Mm-hmm. In that you can take your code, tell it what
0: your target version of PHP is, and it will modernize it. And I believe it also will go the other way. It can take modern code and downgrade it, but I, please don't do that. Like Please just keep moving forward. <laughs> and Brandon has mentioned that they are looking at Rector, and they've been in touch with the, the author of Rector. Worst case, they'll, they'll work on their own tool, but their goal is with the beta, they're going to ship a tool that you run it on your plugin or module, and it will add all the typing for you, just like magic. It's not going to rearrange your code. It's not going to be dealing with rewriting APIs or anything like that. But it will at least add all of the typings into it, which is a really laborious and error-prone thing to do by hand. Assuming they come out with that, I think that should make plugin developers' lives a lot easier. Now, I have not seen nor used this tool, and I'm very skeptical when it comes to magical tools that I've never used. But it sounds
1: good. Yeah. I'm just looking through the the readme. I guess their holdup is that it doesn't, Support Yii out of the box yet? Maybe I don't know what the holdup is. I, I just know that it's something
0: that Brandon has mentioned that there's something that they plan to solve in some shape or form. Right. No, and I'm, I'm prob- a,
1: I miss I miss red. It does two different things. It yep. su- it helps upgrade from PHP 5.3 to eight, yep. and it helps you upgrade these major frameworks like Symfony, Laravel, Cake, Doctrine, yeah. and so forth. Okay, so those are two yeah. different things. So it, we don't yeah, even need Yii support in this case,
0: right? Because the typing is only being added to Craft's classes. So it's only when you inherit from crafts classes that you have to make sure that this typing is there because they have to match. The method signatures need to match otherwise it's it's not PHP is going to throw an error. So assuming they come out with this, then it becomes a matter of the work that's involved in doing this. Now, me as a a plugin developer, I'm the exception in terms of people who who use craft. Usually people are writing in Twig, they're using CSS, maybe on an occasional site, they have a custom module. Maybe if they've got a commerce site, they've had to write their own adjusters or, you know, a little bit of code here or there. But I'm kind of the exception in that I got a lot of work in front of me, Mm right? I got a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be upgraded. I don't know what that work is going to look like. I don't know how much this tool is going to help transition it. And the other thing that I I have to keep in mind is I will need to fork the code base now. So I'm going to need to have a craft three fork of the code, Mm -hmm. or actually I'm going to have it as a branch and then a craft four branch of the code, because I'm following pixel and tonics methodology, which is that I'm going to support the old plugin that runs on craft three for a year of regular updates. And then I'm going to do security for one year after that, but I'm going to have to have a a relatively, I guess it's a short-term plan for maintaining both.
1: Would Craft and- 3 version and Craft 4 version be in lockstep in terms of features or would you, or not necessarily? Not necessarily. I mean, it depends. It really depends on
0: the work that's involved. Because if they are lockstep in features, what that means is adding the code in one place and then running Mr. Magic Upgrade Tool, or it means adding it in both places and doing all of the changes and commits and stuff that's involved in there. Now, why am I going into this, Ryan? If I don't I'm know. the minority. <laughs> if I'm the minority, I don't know. <laughs> I'm if I'm you. the minority and most people aren't going to have to do this, well, I'm going into this because even if I'm the minority of people that need to do this, there is the majority is going to be waiting on people like me to get all their plugins updated. So I'm
1: just kind of letting people know what is involved in doing that. So, in addition so you're like, to. You're like Alexander Hamilton. History has its eyes on you because you know the musical? Anyway. Ryan, it's ironic you should bring that up because my direct blood relative shot and killed Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr? You're related yeah. to Aaron Burr?
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Really? Yeah. My great-grandmother's last name was Burr. (laughs) I have
1: to think about this for a second.
0: I think it's very likely that I'm also related to comedian Bill Burr in that sense. He still has the last name, but I'm pretty sure I've heard him mention that he's related to Aaron Burr as well. You guys have the same
1: haircut, you and Bill Burr. (laughs) Yeah, see, it's genetics. You can tell. We're both bald. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not ginger, but you know. So whatever. so before you just kind of rock my world with that, the, I know the reason you bring it up is, and the reason I joke that all like history has its eyes on you is because SEOmatic, one of your plugins, is popular. A lot of sites run it. And, you know, obviously that's, you know, that's a fair amount of pressure, right? To make sure that you get it updated so people can update. So you're right. kind of a blocker in this sense. Right, right, but it's not just me. Blockers, but yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, yes, it's me because some of the plugins are popular and that's fantastic. I'm very happy
1: that those are but popular But it comes with plugins. a certain amount of responsibility then in terms of Right, and it's
0: not just the paid plugins.
1: So this is
0: where the the interesting wrinkles, I think, start to come in, is that there are a number of unpaid plugins, Mm -hmm. some of which are not as maintained. And if your site is using some of these plugins, it might be the time to start pinging the people that maintain them to ask them what their plans are for Craft 4 when you're looking at potentially migrating these. Because again, every single Craft 3 plugin will no longer work with Craft 4. And it's not because there's some major your drastic API change is because of these typings that they have added to try and modernize the code base. And it's also probably just a good time to
1: ditch anything that is no longer maintained anyway. Yeah, there will be a fair amount of pruning that happens, I think, for sure. Right. There will also be things that are abandoned, plugins that are abandoned. New people will come in and either replace that functionality with their own plugin or ideally ownership of of an abandoned plugin is transferred if possible. So there's like some continuity there.
0: Right. So it's just something that you need. to consider when you're looking at upgrading your site for Craft4. And I'm letting everyone know the work that's involved in doing it, because it's not just changing a version number and then the Craft3 plugin will work on Craft4. It's also not as bad as all of the APIs have changed, but there is this kind of drudgery work of adding all the typing to all of these functions in order to even get it to run on Craft 4, and then if there's any breaking changes that you have to deal with, and there, there shouldn't be many, then you have to then address those. So I think it's important for developers who use Craft to understand that this is kind of what needs to be going on behind the scenes and understand that plugin developers are going to be having to do this work. And it's it's not tons of work, but it's not necessarily trivial work either that needs to be done to get these things updated. And I think that's going to be what holds up uh, people upgrading to Craft 4.
1: I could definitely see the uptake on on upgrades to be, if they release in the spring, to be slow over the course of the summer as people kind of wait out that initial period and then probably pick up pretty rapidly over during the fall and yep. then leading into 2023, which is kind of funny because on a year release cycle, and I know the PHP 8 thing is is a bit bigger than probably what they'll do with Craft 5 in terms of what plugin developers have to do. But with the year release cycle, like it could be that everybody is delayed three or four months. Craft 5 comes out maybe next spring, 2023, but people don't really upgrade until three, four, six months after, depending on the project, and then the next version is out. So, but that's just, what does Elton John say, man? Circle of Life, just how it goes. (laughs) I thought
0: that was from The Lion King.
1: Yeah, Elton John wrote the songs for The Lion
0: King. Oh, yeah, of course course on, in any event people may look at this and they may say oh man you know that, that sucks that you know i'm gonna have to i've got this old plugin that hasn't been updated in three years like what What am i gonna do i do think that there is an upside to this i have long said that as a plugin developer i feel like i'm in the support business <laughs> this is going to definitely bring to the fore people that are supporting and updating their plugins and people that are not and that probably will influence what plugins you decide to end up using going forward now situation situations change, right? People change jobs, they move on, they use different systems. So I'm not pointing out that anyone who's not maintaining their plugin is is doing a bad job or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's a, the nature of things. But this can, at least in the, the near term, inform your decisions in terms of what plugins you're going to use or not use, right? I mean, maybe you'll, you'll say, well, maybe we can figure out a way to do this particular thing without a plugin.
1: Right. Or, or use no plugins at all.
0: Yes, you, you could do that with no plugins at all. I think you might have a little bit of a problem doing I also think that there's nothing wrong with relying on the functionality of a plugin if it saves you time and if it allows you to spend your time where you're bringing your value, I think it absolutely makes sense to use it. I think some people are a little overly paranoid about code debt and using someone else's stuff and all that. Again, I think it boils down to work with people that are actively Updating their plugins, and I I may be hanging myself by saying this because I got a whole bunch of plugins that I'm going to have to update. I'm going to do my best to get them all done with as much alacrity as I possibly can. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to start with the paid plugins. Yeah. I'm going to do those, and I'm going to go through them probably based on their popularity because I'm going to be hitting the the broadest cross section of people who have been paying me money to make this thing and maintain it for them. So I feel that's where my obligation is first. But my plan is I'm very likely going to upgrade every plugin. That I have. It shouldn't be too terrible to do, but we'll see. You know, if it ends up being awful, then I don't know, maybe, maybe some of them will go
1: by the wayside, but I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, I, I was starting to think yesterday about the. The plugins I have out there that I don't realize, especially ones that I use myself or that are part of a, a some course material or something like that. Just, yep. You know, you start to realize like, wow, I I have a lot of surface area out there <laughs> that right. I need to think about. And I think this is okay. Again, it gets people to rethink.
0: Okay, you know, what does our site really need? Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned before, you also don't necessarily have to update your site from Craft three to Craft four. It may be that some of your long term clients you'll you'll keep along and you'll upgrade for all the security updates and all that kind of good stuff and some of the others you'll just kind of let them stay where they are until they do a major rewrite at which point you'll use whatever new version of craft that there is in general i encourage people to update to the latest i think it's the best way to avoid security issues not just your cms not just your plugins but everything Mm -hmm. you know the infra that you run on which is again a good reason to be using a more modern hosting environment that you can pick modern versions of php node whatever because they also sunset those in terms of security updates so you you do want to keep those updated to some extent you know we're on an endless treadmill when it comes to updating these things
1: that's my old guy pushback against the idea of not taking on any technical debt or trying to make the absolute best decision for when you write your own code versus use other is that we're in the business of creating things that the moment we create them they start to disintegrate Right, that is. You think about Andrew. You've been working in software for decades, and not always on the web. But still, I mean, even the client stuff that you did, that could have it could be even maybe the web has a much longer window of support than a lot of the client stuff. Projects that I worked on at the beginning of my career twenty years ago, they don't run on anything. Right. You know, right now, like it. it as soon as you build it, it starts to disintegrate. And that's just right. you just have to kind of be a little bit uh, mindful of that and not take things too seriously. Make the best decision you can in the moment for the person that you're doing the work for, even if it's yourself and then and then move on.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to veer off of this detour pretty soon, but I, I do want to <laughs> add that there is somewhat of a fallacy, I think, that you're eliminating tech debt by not using a plugin or, you know, a third-party NPM package or whatever, because what that means is you have to replicate that functionality yourself. You have to write that all yourself. Yeah. You haven't eliminated tech debt. You moved who the person that maintains that tech debt is. And I used to do tons and tons of sites where I would do the SEO just using craft fields and inheritance and but it was a major pain in the ass to try and keep those all up to date when i found changes in the seo landscape and i updated how everything worked on one site backporting that to every other site was just a major pain in the ass that's one of the reasons i made a plugin because there's a well-defined system in which this thing can be updated and then everything that uses it will just magically get all of those features so that's another thing to keep in mind when you're updating to craft four you could go off on your own and and rewrite some of this stuff yourself. But just understand, you're, you're not eliminating the tech debt, you're moving where it is. Sometimes that will make sense, sometimes that won't. But I think that stepping back to the overall idea of updating to Craft4, again, I think plugins are probably going to be the, the biggest thing that you're going to be waiting on and doing that. We are going to have a about two month window to be working on stuff. I would not expect that every plugin is going to be done in that time timeframe. Right. I can tell you for myself, You know, part of my day job is doing support for people that are using my plugins now, fixing bugs now, working on stuff now. And then if you add on top of that, the work of updating the things to work on the new system, it's going to take a little bit of work to put that all in. I'm going to be putting a, a kibosh on the client work as soon as yeah. the beta comes out, you know? Right. So that I have the time to do this stuff, but it will take a little bit of time to do that. And then beyond that, as you mentioned, the hosting got to find somewhere that runs PHP eight or lets you switch to PHP eight. And then other than that, you know, it looks like it's going to be in
1: theory, relatively minor. You mentioned something about deprecation errors. Yeah. So for people that were around during the craft two to craft three transition, one of the big things was that a bunch of functions and twig tags and other things were, were deprecated in craft three but then they weren't going to be removed until craft four. Well, craft four is here. And if you look at the commits, you can actually see those commits where they're actually removing support instead of just leaving the method in there, logging a deprecation notice, and then just calling the new method which is how they how they did it. There, I have an article where I showed like, an example of that. It's just gone. So if you aren't on top of your deprecation errors in your Craft 3 project, go to the utility section to deprecation and then look at them, then you're not going to be able to upgrade to Craft 4. Or you you can. It's going to break. All your templates are going to break. You'll get hard errors. So Andrew, there is a way to, to get hard errors now on those deprecations instead of just logging a notice. What do yeah. they have to do to do that? And I'm kind of happy about this because this is actually,
0: I did a, a pull request to enable this because I'm the kind of person, I I think Brandon ended up rewriting it in some way. So I I don't think (laughs) it's actually in there anyway, but the functionality is there that in your app.php, your config slash app.php, you can set the deprecator to throw exceptions. So it's not going to log them. It's not going to add a database query and entry for every single one that you've got there. Instead, you're just going to see an exception thrown on the front-end template. And that's something that I always have turned on for local dev. I don't allow myself to just let these deprecations build up because it it always gets to the point where the project has to ship and you've got 38 deprecation errors and you're like, well, you know, we're just going to ship them with that in there. Yeah. I always leave it in local dev. I always leave it on hard mode. We'll link to the article in, and I think in... Craft's official little guide on preparing for Craft 4. They also mention it there. But it's really just a simple config change. And what's going to happen is it's going to throw deprecation errors in your template. So you basically, it's kind of like uh, Gandalf, thou shall not pass, right? It's just going to error if you hit any of these deprecations. I think this is the best way to make sure that you are forced to fix these things. And I always leave it on. So the nice thing is my sites that I work on, I'm going to have almost no work <laughs> because all of those deprecation errors are already fixed. Fixed.
1: Yep. I know that your craft starter project that I used when I migrated craft quest over to the V and Docker setup has that enabled by default. Yep. So it'll, it'll throw all your errors. So fix your deprecation errors. And everyone
0: who mocked me, Ryan, everyone who said, Oh, I'm not going to turn that hard mode on. I don't want to throw deprecation
1: errors. Your day of <laughs> reckoning has come. Yep. <laughs> so, so fix those. We'll put some links in the show notes to the, the craft CMS, their official getting ready or preparing for craft four. And then there's. Oh, wait a minute.
0: Wait a minute, Ryan. (laughs) What? Wait a minute. You have an article called Getting Ready for Craft Four, which I think it came out after Pixel and Tonic released a preparing for craft four article.
1: I mean, Correct. It came out after I had been sitting on it. I had written it a few weeks ago. And uh-huh. I was like, well, I'm just going to wait because it might be confusing. People might get worried. But and then I was like, I'm going to wait till February to publish it. And then they published it yesterday. So but it's fine because we all have different takes and more information, the better. But I will put a link to all of the articles, including oh, mine.
0: This is going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So I just Googled Craft <laughs> CMS 4 upgrade guide.
1: Who's who, who, who Googles for that?
0: Well, I did. Anyway, that's that's what I Googled for. Uh-huh. And the first three uh, the first. First hits are for Craft CMS, of course. Which oh, which and have, then yours, yeah, of course. And then my article on up, updating Craft CMS without edits so comes Kraft up. Craft CMS. None of those hits, by the way, have anything to do with Craft Four, which is interesting. Yeah, it's still early, right? We're only
1: 24 hours into this. At all, we'll get
0: there. In any event, I think that's going to be it. I think that uh, the upgrade to Craft Four is not going to be as big of a deal as two to three. I think that there are going to be some plugins that are going to go by the wayside. People that don't maintain them anymore, they work somewhere else, they're yak herders somewhere out in Wyoming, you know, they have no interest in this stuff anymore, (laughs) you're either going to have to find another plugin, someone's going to have to write another plugin, or someone can take ownership of it and upgrade it if it's popular or whatever enough, or you find some way to do it without a plugin. And then you're just going to have to give the plugin developers that are working on upgrading their plugins to Craft4 a little bit of time to get around to doing it. But one of the things you can start doing now is take an inventory of the plugins that you use, look at any custom mod modules or adjusters or anything else that you use and and start getting some idea of what it's going to take to be able to move this thing to Craft 4. So that's Craft 4. And now I want to talk about a couple of things, Ryan. Okay. One of the things is that I have been doing some client work. Mm, Me too. And one of the things that they needed to do is they have a whole bunch of commerce orders and they needed to export them on a regular basis. Okay. And what it does is it, their exporter, they've got a little CLI function that loops through and it goes through the orders and it goes through the line items because in anyone that has never done anything in commerce, line items are the the various things that are on an order, right? And they can be variants and any number of other things. And it loops through them and it exports them so that their accounting department can, for instance, reconcile things or analyze trends or or do whatever. And the problem is their export was falling over and dying. And the first thing I did when I went in and looked at this was I put in some memory checks. So every time through the loop, I would put in how much memory is free, what is our maximum memory limit, and I ran it, and I would just watch it go up and up and up and up, and then it would die. So the first thing that I did, whenever you're doing an export in a large data set, what you don't want to do is query for everything, right? You don't want to query all 10,000 orders, because that's gonna result in a massive number of order objects or entry objects or whatever you're querying. That's gonna take up a ton of memory, and you don't really need all of them at once. You need them just, one at a time. So as you iterate through them, you can export them. So one of the first things that I did was I added a method I believe was added in craft CMS 3.7 called db colon colon batch. Hmm. And what that does is that does a real batch query of these things. And when you iterate on that, you do for each db batch, and then in the parentheses, your, your query, it will do a real query on that that will only grab each record as you're iterating through them. So it'll Grab a batch of 100, but then it will it will get just one of them at a time as you're coming over. So the obvious benefit here is you're not using up all the memory for every order because the other way it's eventually going to fall over, right? Once you reach a critical mass of things you're querying, too much memory is used. PHP is going to fall over; it's going to die. Then the next thing that I looked into was so okay, we're we're querying these things in in a nice way, so we're not using up much memory. But the other thing it was doing was it was accumulating everything to export in an array, Mm -hmm. even we're dealing with each order element one at a time based on our batch query, it would then take the exported result of that and add it to this array. Now, again, that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as you get more and more orders. All in memory. Yep. All in memory, which you, you don't need, right? You don't need that. So one of the things that I added is a PHP generator. And it's something that a lot of people don't really know about in PHP. They also exist in JavaScript. The basic idea is that a generator function, imagine a function with a for each loop in it. And instead of doing a return at the end, when you've got all the results, In the middle of the foreach loop, you do a yield. When you call yield, it returns that one result back to whoever called it in this case, one line of stuff to be exported, at which point we can write it out. Then when you call that function again, it picks up where it left off in the for each loop. Mm -hmm. So it's a way that you can have a a loop that will write to disk or do whatever with the data so you don't have to store it in memory. So I did all this stuff. I was real proud of myself and it still fell over, right? I still was going through it and the stupid thing still fell over. And I did a whole lot of spelunking, a whole lot of looking around and I found it. It was in Craft Commerce. Do you know what memoization is? is, Ryan? Uh, No, tell me. So memoization is essentially a a short-term cache. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, like, let's say I need this thing, and uh, it's expensive to get the thing. Maybe it's a query to get all of the line items. What it will do is, in in an array property, it will store each of those results, so that when you ask for it again, it can just return it, Mm -hmm. rather than doing it again. Memoization caches are wonderful. They go away after a request is done, so they speed things up for the duration of it. The problem is, if you're iterating through all these orders you've got a memoization cache that's just going to get built up and up and up (laughs) and it's just going to eventually blow up.
1: Same problem as before, okay.
0: This was actually the actual actual source of the problem. So I found it in line items service in commerce. What they were doing is in a class property, they were storing each result indexed by the order ID. So they were storing all of the line items by order ID. So you ask for, give me all the line items. If it's in this array, it just returns it. And if it's not, it does the query and then it stuffs it into this local memoization cache. It's mm-hmm. called. Well, you can see the problem. If we're iterating through thousands of orders, this array is going to get huge because it's stuffing more and more of that into the cache. And that's what was causing it to blow up. So I filed an issue and they they actually fixed it very quickly. Unfortunately, we couldn't wait for them to release this fix. Mm-hmm. And there also is a little bit of work in in upgrading to new versions of commerce. They didn't want to disturb their store in the interim. So we didn't know exactly when this thing would be released that had the fix in it. And we also didn't know when we would actually be able to upgrade to this thing. So I ended up having to go in and what we kind of in the business call monkey patching. (laughs) which is
1: kind of like... So you had, did you have to go into the vendor directory? And- no,
0: no, no. I I can't do that, right? Because we have a modern deployment oh, system deployment, that right. uses Composer. So we can't go in and modify their code, which, you know, in the bad old days, maybe you would that, do that yeah. or temporarily yeah. as a hot fix or something. I, you know, a lot of people have done this. Type of thing. What I actually had to do was add a whole series of behaviors that mimicked what Commerce was doing, but in a way that avoided the caching behavior that it had. So it's something that it was a really long and elaborate process that took a while to to get it all working. Now it works great no memory leaks, everything works wonderful. I just think this might be interesting to anyone who has to do anything that generates a report Mm -hmm. on a large data set or exports on a large data set. These are things that you need to keep in mind is the PHP generally doesn't care too much about memory leaks because as soon as it's done handling the request, everything is wiped out and it doesn't matter anymore. Well, if you have a long running process, maybe a CLI command, you actually do have to care about this. So these are things that you need to keep in mind. And the basic idea is only having memory the amount of stuff that you need to do one step of whatever your process is and then write it out to disk or send it somewhere or do whatever you need to do with it and then get rid of it and in that way you're never going to use more you could do millions of orders and it would still work yep have you run into any kind of stuff
1: like this before i have not but i actually hadn't used the the db batch yet that came out in 3.7 but i did see that there's a knowledge base article about it from pixel and tonic Yep. but you got to do three cool things although i guess fixing the memoization probably was less fun than the other two ryan you and i have very different definitions of cool
0: You know, if I was up on stage playing a guitar or something, I'd be like, yeah, I got to do something cool. That's cool. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We don't live rock star life. Well, you know, it it obviously is satisfying to be able to come up with something that solves a problem and to fix the problem. It was really, really tedious actually monkey patching this in a way that it would work because commerce ended up calling this line item service from all over the place. So I ended up with like... (laughs) five additional behaviors and a bunch of other stuff, but it works. Everything works great. And it's going to be painless when they actually do release the update and they actually, we actually are able to upgrade to
1: it. It's not going to be a big deal,
0: right? Yeah. It's not going to be a big deal to remove it, but that's it in the indeterminate future and they needed it now. So you got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know? You do. All right. I rudely interrupted you before trying to stay on track about craft four, but Mm -hmm. you were talking about some laborious process that you had with workflows and copying stuff and what was
1: that all about i didn't have a laborious process i was asked to help fix a or a lack of process and with the idea being that it creating a an appropriate development workflow for the particular person that needed that was going to use this and this person is more of a designer front-end developer in the front-end developer in the traditional sense pre everybody writes javascript okay help me understand to do what So this is to manage maybe three times, four times a year updates to a craft site where the the templates are like rebranded for a new version of the event. And there might be some other like additional fields added and then to make it so it was easy for those changes to be done locally and version controlled and then deployed to a staging server and then deployed to a production server. Everything before this was manual Mm. where they just edited, I I believe on the staging server directly and then tested their changes and then moved everything the file changes over to the production server and recreated any field changes and stuff like that because project config was turned off. And so essentially I was asked to please bring us into the modern day, but it has to be appropriate for the people that are going to use it. It can't be something that's super elaborate. Git flow, that wasn't going to work because it didn't need Git flow. So it's kind of inspired a course that I put up recently on creating a development workflow. But the idea is that it was what I call like stakeholder appropriate. It's not what I think is what I would use, but it's what would be helpful and appropriate for the stakeholders, for them to get their work done. And we talked about served, which is why I was talking about it. It's served for the hosting. And that's the reason I chose served is because of the build and deployment tool. And also because I used moved all of their assets, which were being directly uploaded to the server disk, moved those all into the served assets host Mm. and then DDEV for the local development. So what I created was a GitHub project that I wrote up a readme. This person read it. They got DDEV installed and they just cloned the repository and ran ddev start In the directory. Nice. And then they had to run a one import command to get the database. And then that was it. And then they had using the same local hosting URLs that I use and that anyone else that clones the project would use. Everybody uses the same one because it's stored in the DDEV config file. They had a fully working local hosting environment that rendered everything properly. There was odds and ends broken. And then I had it pull from the local volume. And by local, I mean local remote volume that serve sets up. So they, local and, remote volume <laughs> okay well, so they have a they have these different environments on served assets production staging local and you can tell served via the plugin that you install in craft for all assets either pull them from local disk or pull them from the remote environment volume which in that this case is called a local and that way you are actually getting assets that you need to render the site rather than oh i don't have this image or this thing or that thing they're all there and then you can run command line commands to migrate assets between the environments, a really nice setup. But what p- kind of the payoff was is that this person was able to set it up and get all these changes done within a week. And then we were able to turn around and get that up on staging via auto deployment and then get it up on production as well. I actually set up auto deployment on production as well, because mm-hmm. if this person is doing all the testing, then there shouldn't need to be this manual stage to get thing on production, just merge into the main or master branch and yep. then push to remote to the or- origin, and then it deploys out. It builds and served and deploys. So it's been really nice. And for them, it was a huge shift in a positive way because they basically saved a bunch of error-prone work to update the site with something now that they can use into the future, uh, including updates and, and all of that. So it's it's been really nice. It's
0: funny, Ryan, because we work in tech and we think our jobs are so important. Right. But the reality is the vast majority of what we do is just to allow someone else to do
1: something. Right. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? yeah. Like
0: <laughs> they've got other important things that they're doing, and, and the tech for them is just a platform for doing it. So we're just kind of a, a speed bump in the way of them being able to do their thing. It's just like a, a person who thinks building a house is very important. It's nothing compared to the people that want to live in the house. You know what I mean? They're just 30 enabling. Years. Yeah. yeah, you're just enabling someone else to, to do their thing. So anytime you get too caught up in I'm in tech, so I do important work, understand right. you're, you're usually just enabling someone else to do something else.
1: And that's usually what gets me you're so frustrated about the idea of we are talking about earlier about avoiding technical debt where, oh, like, I shouldn't use any plugins because plugins are technical debt yep. where that's just a selfish approach. And I feel like that we're, as developers, people that enable other people to do things, we, if we get too selfish or self-centered about the work or too self-important about the work we do, yep, then we're actually making bad decisions for the people that are going to use the things that we create.
0: I yeah. agree. We're bringing our opinions into what we're building for them. Yeah. If I was building a house, I'd be pr- pretty pissed off if the contractor was like, yeah, we're not going to order uh, your bathtub from Bain Ultra. We're, we're going to build it ourselves because, you know, I don't <laughs> know about their supply chain. And if something goes wrong with it, you know,
1: ah, eh, we're just going to, I would be mad. right? You know? Yeah. I or we're not going to build, like you said, something prefab that comes for like the roof trusses, right? Most of those roof trusses come prefab now and they just crane yep. them in. Oh, yep. we're going to build them ourselves. Like, no, how about we just crane in the prefab ones because that factory that made those, that's all they do is prefab roof trusses. So So maybe we'll we'll do that. But yeah, don't be, use the tools that get the job done for the people that you're building it for. That's why I didn't, I made this super simple. My first reaction was going to be, oh, well, this has to have a very proper Git workflow and all of this. And I was like, you know what? This person can just commit directly into the develop branch. I'm not going to burn down a virus because they're committing into the develop branch. So you just have to think about those people and what they need to get out of the project. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure.
0: Oh, that's really cool. And both of us, in both of the client work that we did, it's just work to enable other people to do their thing. In, in my case, it's for them to be able to run their business. And in your case, it's for them to, I don't know, I mean, run their business in some form, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I was actually enabling a someone that, that does work for the end client, even though I was also employed by the actual client, but I was working for with another agency and that person just needed to be able to get these changes up for, in a very timely manner so that the client could launch their event and their registration and all of this so it's cool i'm doing some cool stuff now on the project with service workers right now because it is an event website and i wanted to give them better support for low bandwidth or no bandwidth situations in an event building nice so it's been fun so i get to do some cool stuff too but the focus is always on who are we building these things for don't get too cocky we're all just cogs in the big machine right that's right man
0: And because I've been doing a bunch of this client work, a lot of this was kind of like, oh my God, we have to get this done now kind of (laughs) stuff. I still have not come out with my Matrix Facades article, Ryan. Wow, I I thought that was going to
1: be the end of 2021 you are going to have that ready.
0: It was. Mm. Now, one of the things that I have done Mm -hmm. is I made a GitHub repo and we'll link to it in the show notes, but it's github.com slash NYStudio107 slash Matrix Facades. And it's something you can just clone down and with one command, you can just fire it up and go into the CP and you can play around with the matrix facades. So this is actually, all of the code is done. All of the examples are done. I actually have examples of two different facades and you can fire it up locally and you can play with it. The article is something that I'm planning to make time for hopefully this weekend or next week because some of the client work should be easing up now that we got this stuff done. And I, I really want to write the article because I think it's kind of cool. But I wanted to mention it real quick that that repository is out there. So for anyone who wants to fire it up, all you need to have is document or desktop installed and then there are literally, it looks like two commands you have to type. You have to clone the repo and then you type make dev and then you can just log in and you can play around with the matrix facades. And I actually harassed you and made you try it out so we can guarantee that it works, right? Yep, you did. And
1: we'll have a link to the video that you and I did about right. the initial version, but I know you've updated now with different, different example. I just added an additional example.
0: And I did also have people test this on Windows and Linux. So it all just works through the magic of Docker. You can just fire it up and play around with it. And I, I think it's kind of a cool way to show off an example because you're not just showing people blog with a bunch of code that they then have to paste in and screw around with. You can actually show them the thing working and then they can peek in the code and tweak the code and tweak a working example. I think it's kind of a neat way to, to package up an, an example. What do you
1: think? I agree. And we talked about this. That's gonna be a focus of mine. This actually came up in another chat I was having, but a focus of mine this year is going to be making the example projects faster and easier to install and access. And nice. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this is a case where
1: Docker actually makes
0: a whole lot of sense. Because the people consuming it have to know almost nothing. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is have Docker desktop installed and you literally then clone the repo down and type one command and the local environment is going to be up and running. There's no setup. There's no, if you're running MAP, do this. If you're running Nitro, do that. If you're running DDEV, do that. It's literally the same no matter what platform. And I think it's a really nice way to distribute example stuff. So
1: Andrew, you have a note here that you have a book you might read. It seems like a good way to wrap up the show is to talk about uh, what's next on your reading list and that about wraps it up for another episode of the
0: devmode.fm podcast <laughs> if you nope. enjoyed the show no nope. make sure to subscribe nope. tell a friend drop us a review we've really appreciated it for the devmode.fm nope. podcast i'm <laughs> andrew welch <laughs> and i'm waiting for andrew to tell me about his book it's you're gonna hate it it's a letdown it's a all book right. on WebAssembly, and i think i'm actually gonna read this one this
1: you brought this on vacation right the waz- it's a different
0: it's a different book oh,
1: okay all right I, I decided I would really
0: read this WebAssembly
1: part. So it's not like a, it's not a non-technical book then.
0: That about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review. We really appreciate it. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Ryan Ireland. to end the show that was pretty funny and for, for anyone out there if you want to know the difference between silicon and silicone silicon goes in chips and silicone goes in breast implants and i think also in like caulking materials I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into why this conversation came up but ryan didn't know the difference between silicon and silicone
1: is this is this uh show all about just outing my my ignorance of all sorts of topics no,
0: it's about adding my ignorance too. We can be two ignorant fools <laughs> floundering around together. How about that? Learning it live. All right. Stopping the backup recording.